Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Deanna Norris, also with the Department of Communication. Today, we're going to give you exclusive access to information about a new center that promises to improve patient access at Michigan Medicine. Now, before we get into that, be sure you go back and access any episode of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find the shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New episodes debut weekly and can also be found on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines we can review. With that, let's bring in Dr. Vikas Parekh, Associate Chief Medical Officer for U of M Health and an executive sponsor of the M2C2 Project, a new capacity hub designed to enhance the care delivered across the organization. Dr. Parekh, thank you for joining us. Daniel Diana, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, first, can you explain what M2C2 is and how the idea of the center came about? Sure. Yeah. So um, M2C2 is an acronym for our Michigan Medicine Capacity Operations and Real-Time Engagement Center. So it's uh, uh, we, we kind of did a double acronym. So it's the Michigan Medicine Core Center. And then um, M2C2 came from that. Um, we actually had a naming competition among our staff and uh, project members who uh, gave us uh, hundreds of different names. And we ended up picking M2C2 um, as our ultimate name. Um, in terms of uh, you know what it what it really is in plain language, it's um, you know really borrows from what other industries have done in terms of um, what they call operations control centers. I think the best example most people will resonate with is uh, NASA's control center when they have a launch or a, a big uh, big thing going on, right? So it's basically a place uh, where you put together. Um, the right teams of people all together in one place um, with the right information in front of them, um, allowing them to you know, basically take the right action, right? Keep the space shuttle launch on track, or for us, um, really keeping all of our patients in the hospital on track, ensuring they get to the right bed, that um, any barriers they're encountering um, in their stay, um, we're aware of and can try to intervene where appropriate. Um, so it's, you know, it's a relatively new concept in healthcare to create these kind of centers, but um, I would say over the past 10 years or so, many other um, peer institutions have implemented these uh, centers, and um, we're excited to be doing it as well. Um, we've been thinking about this for quite some time, but we're excited that we're finally able to get um, into the implementation stage. This is such exciting work. Can you talk a little bit about your role, um, Vikas, in the development and preparing for the opening of M2C2? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I am uh, the executive lead for the work overall. And um, in my prior roles, I um, worked with our team to really help us come together around the need, um, the vision, um, and the plan for the center. Um, we did a lot of groundwork before we even decided to do this, visiting other uh, similar centers um, across the country, talking to other um, institutions, um, and, uh, you know, really, uh, now I uh, partner with my uh, administrative partner, Maureen Thompson, who is my, my co-executive sponsor to help oversee the overall project design. Um, I'll say much of the, you know, initial work and design work and, and really kind of heavy lifting was done by our um, operations team, uh, Max Garfullin, Jenny Pardo, and Nikki Farquhar. And then um, we're, we were super lucky to recruit our new director for M2C2 about a year and a half ago, Jill Sklar, who's been um, really instrumental on the operational side of um, the project. 
you really have an amazing team that, that I've had the pleasure of meeting with and chatting with about the center. And one of the questions I asked them, and I'll, I'll ask you now because you can explain it a lot better than I can, but why is it so important that at Michigan Medicine, we work to become more efficient at moving patients through the health system? Yeah, um, it's a great question, Daniel. I think um, I always say there's, there's two big reasons. So the first is really, um, you know, I, I take the patient and family perspective, right? So what we're really trying to do is um, what is often called the triple aim, right? Right care in the right time in the right place. Um, to the best of our abilities, uh, we want to achieve that for all of our patients and families. And we know that um, we have challenges there and, and, and anyone who works in our health system will tell you that. Um, we also know that when, um, when we don't achieve that um, triple aim, it puts our patients and families at risk. Uh, uh, patients have higher likelihood of uh, long waits, potentially um, poor outcomes, et cetera. And you know, that's first and foremost why we need to do this. Now, the second side is the more, what I sort of say, the practical side, which is um, we're really busy and we have a lot of patients who want our care. Um, and yet we're limited in our ability to continually expand our capacity. Now we're building um, the pavilion and um, that will be here uh, in a few years, but between now and then, um, and even after we open the pavilion, we anticipate that we'll continue to have really high demand for our care. Um, and so to be able to serve as many patients as we uh, can, we want to be more efficient with using our, um, you know, fixed capacity and resources that we're not able to continually expand. Um, so those are, those are the two real reasons that we want to do this. But, you know, first and foremost, it's that perspective of being a patient and or having a family member as a patient and saying, you know, we want to try to do as best to get them through the system to the next level of care as quickly as we can so that they um, get the right care that they uh, need. So planning for M2C2 has, I think, really probably been a collaborative process, right, with a lot of different care teams across the organization. Can you talk about who all was involved in the planning process for M2C2 and then who will be in the center once it opens? Sure. Yeah, it's a uh, great question. Yeah, it's been, a, I mean, it's been a huge pro program. So we've been working at this uh, from a for about two years since we've had the approval to sort of fund it and get it going. Um, I, I think at this point, literally hundreds of uh, individuals across the organization have been involved um, from frontline staff all the way to senior leadership, um, depending on kind of the work that we're doing. Um, we organize ourselves into multiple work teams, each focusing on a particular area of focus um, for M2C2. For example, a team that was working on um, delays in care, trying to move people through their hospital stay more promptly. Um, and that team, you know, drew from, uh, you know, frontline nurses, care managers, uh, you know, support services like radiology and uh, imaging, uh, you name it. And, and then obviously project managers, uh, folks from our quality teams, et cetera, to help us uh, do the work together. So it's it's been a huge team effort. It's really been um, phenomenal to see the level of engagement and the number of people in the organization that have helped us uh, design um, M2C2 and the work that we will do. Um, you know, in terms of who will be in the center day to day, um, at, at the core are kind of four teams that uh, will exist uh, under the umbrella of capacity management. Um, what I call kind of our admissions and bed team, a team uh, that helps uh, it's kind of do intake and, and assign um, beds uh, for a portion of our patients. Um, our patient flow coordinator team, who are generally more a clinical background, um, they're kind of managing the more complicated uh, bed placements, getting the patients into the into the right place. Um, our transfer center team, who takes all the 
calls for um, patients who want to come here from other institutions. And then lastly, a, a new team that we're adding, our clinical expediter team. Um, they're a team of, again, clinically trained individuals who are working on um, a lot of those areas around um, care progression, delays in care, trying to improve length of stay. Um, in addition to those sort of core teams that all sit under the capacity management umbrella, um, there's a lot of other teams that will spend some time of their day in the center. Um, someone from our care management team, uh, individuals from our environmental services and transport teams, um, our rapid response teams who we're partnering with around some work in quality and safety, our sepsis coordinators, um, just to name a few. Um, uh, there'll be a, you know, the center is definitely open for uh, people to come in uh, if they have questions, issues um, as well. And we have a lot of collaborative space built into design. So I imagine um, there'll be plenty other people who will be dropping in um, day to day. Yeah. So on top of the people who'll be dropping in and collaborating, you know, directly with members of the M2C2 team, what should faculty and staff across the organization sort of expect to change, you know, once M2C2 is fully up and running? How will it sort of affect their daily life? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So um, I'll say first, you know, we designed most of our work to be relatively seamless. So, you know, we didn't want to add burden to our already busy team, right? So we, we tried to be really thoughtful about um, how we built the analytics and data, not requiring anyone to put new information into uh, my chart, for example, but leveraging all the information that's already there in a smarter way. Um, much of the work will, will happen behind the scenes and, um, you know, people won't necessarily notice the work, but they'll hopefully notice the outcomes, right? That we'll be able to kind of get to get patients um, into beds earlier in the day by opening up those beds, expediting their discharges. Um, it, it'll take less time to get to a bed once we know that you're going there. Um, hopefully we'll better use our available capacity um, so that um, every last bed is better used um, and filled when we, when we have patients who demand our care. Um, and then lastly, I think um, hopefully our proactive approach will get ahead of some of the barriers that patients experience, which often, um, uh, end up being challenges for our frontline staff trying to solve those problems. And so hopefully, you know, we see the, the MRI delay, for an example, coming up. We'll get in front of that and try to prioritize that patient so the frontline team doesn't have to, right? So um, ultimately, I think those are the outcomes you'll see, but hopefully not a lot of uh, burden or incremental work, um, hopefully actually removing some of that burden from our team. That sounds great. Um, so what are the plans for the center over the next month or so? When is it scheduled to open and, and when will it reach its full potential? Yeah, we're, we're kind of uh, gearing up here for um, our actual opening, which is November 29th, which is when staff will be uh, in place in the center and will kind of be fully operational. So um, the next few weeks are, are a lot of just uh, kind of getting the last pieces together. Um, the space is kind of getting fully furnished, all the ITs in place. And then um, we are having a series of kind of welcoming events um, for uh, many of the team members who have helped us build the uh, center, as well as an open house type event um, uh, in the middle of November. Um, in terms of, you know, how long will it take to kind of ramp up and reach full potential? Um, you know, the first few months I think are really gonna be just kind of getting the kinks out and, and figuring out um, what works, doesn't work, getting everyone comfortable in the space and in the workflows. Um, and then most centers um, say that really it's it's a you know a month to kind of a year long journey to kind of full potential as you uh, PDCA the process, get everyone 
um, going. A lot of learning happens and you and you understand kind of what uh, the barriers are that you might not have imagined patients experiencing. And then you kind of have to adapt and adjust your work to, um, to pivot to those um, areas. Yeah, I love that. I think you read my mind because my next question was going to be about how will your team sort of, you know, looking to the future, make continuous improvement, right? And I think PDCA has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um, but sort of, you know, once everything is in place, maybe even looking years down the line, what do you expect you'll find, you know, once M2C2 is up and running? What do you expect you'll find to to see as the outcomes um, of the work you're doing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, you know, I think um, we know know from what we've heard from others that, you know, the, the evolution and sort of development of the center is kind of a continual process. Um, you know, um, a lot of what we have built, I kind of think of like diagnostics, uh, kind of like all the gauges and lights in your car, right? We're going to find a lot of things that are going to, you know, light up and tell us, oh, wow, we didn't really even realize we had a bottleneck here, or this was a challenge for the organization, because right now all that happens kind of at a patient level, but it's not easy to kind of see it at the aggregation of um, the whole health system. Uh, and then that will drive future enhancements and, and changes, right? And we built built this into our structure. We have um, project support and project management support. Um, we're building a series of uh, performance indicators that we hope to improve and drive so we can understand if we're making a difference. Um, and then all of that will embed into kind of a operational structure uh, from a frontline uh, performance improvement team um, all the way to kind of a governance committee that will be uh, you know, leaders in all the different areas that can impact um, the ultimate outcome. And so, um, you know, that's the system that will drive what we will do over the future. You know, what will what will happen in the future? I think, you know, really what we want to do is um, see um, us continually enhance the patient uh, experience in terms of patient flow, right? So uh, ideally, we will, we will move people through the system um, quickly to their next level of care, um, patients will have fewer barriers, um, which will ultimately hopefully reduce length of stay, allow us to serve more patients. And then, you know, I, I don't think I mentioned it, but we also are partnering with our quality and safety teams in a couple of areas. We're a rapid response team around trying to anticipate patients that might be at risk for clinical decline and getting in front of that, and as well as supporting some of the work of our sepsis teams who are trying to improve our sepsis care. Um, and I think there's a lot more opportunity in that area as well, quality and safety, where we're just we're just starting. Um, with small small pieces of that work, but um, in my conversations with many of our team members, as well as our um, new chief quality officer, um, Dr. Watts, I think there's a lot of other opportunities in that space that I look forward to us uh, developing in the years to come. So is there anything else um, that we haven't touched on that you're excited about with M2C2 coming to fruition? Um, we've talked a lot about a lot, but I, you know, I'm super excited about the potential um, to improve the care of our patients and experience for our caregivers. I, I really think that M2C2 will become um, a hub for kind of innovation in this space and in how we um, operate as a health system, how we think about um, how we solve quality and safety problems in the health system. And um, I'm really looking forward to um, the launch, go live, and then kind of seeing how um, we use M2C2 as a tool to kind of drive um, innovation in the future. And um, I, I think there's going to be some really great things that will come out of this. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for sharing your insight, Vikas. If our listeners want to learn more about M2C2, they can go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. 
Okay, Vikas, we need you to stick around just a little bit longer. It's time for the lightning round when we ask our guests four quick questions they have not seen before this interview. Are you ready to go? Uh, I think I'm ready as I will be. <laughs> All right, so you've done a lot of work helping the organization plan for and execute plans to treat patients with COVID-19 over the past couple of years. What was the most challenging part of that role and the most satisfying part of that role? Um, you know, the, the hardest part, I think, was um, facing uncertainty, right? And I think um, not knowing uh, what we didn't know um, and, and, and really maybe not even knowing what we thought we knew, right? So continually kind of learning more information, pivoting um, our thinking um, in, in a, you know, a really um, challenging time for our team and care, caregivers, a lot of uh, fear, apprehension, um, et cetera. And so, um, you know, managing through that and trying to um, really inform the organization the best we could, um, being humble, you know, it's like one week, this is what we thought was happening. The next week, it's like, well, things look a lot different now, and this is where we are. That's okay. You know, that's okay. We we kind of operated at in the mode of, you know, we are all going at this with, you know, our best intentions with the best information that we have at the time. And, um, you know, we're going to uh, kind of continually learn and, and uh, redirect as we um, had more information. So that was, that was tough. And um, at times during that, uh, during COVID, I was also, you know, a frontline caregiver as a physician on the hospital medicine teams, uh, guiding our, you know, trying to supervise and guide our teams, our learners, our residents, uh, supporting our staff, which was also obviously um, challenging at times. It really was amazing to watch everyone come together and pivot quickly when needed. Um, just really astounding. Um, can you uh, talk to us a little bit about what you like to do at the end of the day when you go home? What's your favorite way to unwind and relax? Yeah, it's, um, sure. I, uh, like many people, you know, I have a, a family, two, two kids who are uh, uh, busy, a uh, middle schooler and a high schooler. So, you know, often just getting home, getting uh, together at dinner uh, and just, just chatting about our days uh, is important to us uh, before they go off and do their homework and other activities. Um, uh, my wife is also a clinician here, a pediatric cardiologist at Mott. And so, um, you know, we, we appreciate that family time. Um, you know, outside of that, um, you know, when, the, when it's uh, uh, good weather outside, I like getting outside and uh, exploring the outdoors, doing things. And it's been a wonderful year for that. Uh, still is, uh, even into November, which I'm super happy about. Um, and then, um, you know, I'm, I'm a reader at, at heart. I'm, I'm not much of a movie or TV person as much as a reader, but um, so I, I enjoy reading and, uh, uh, you know, both fiction and nonfiction books to kind of unwind when I have time. Awesome. All right, well, Michigan men's and women's basketball teams tipped off this week. Are you into sports? And, and if so, which sport would you say is your favorite? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I follow Michigan sports, um, not as intensely as many people. Um, <laughs> if I were to say what what I'm, I, basketball I enjoy, um, and I've actually, uh, the games I've been to, I've really enjoyed um, women's basketball as my two boys. I uh, just really enjoy uh, kind of the environment and spirit there. Um, so that's been fun. And um, uh, my Father-in-law used to have uh, ice hockey season tickets. We used to do that a lot too. Um, um, haven't done that as much lately, but those are always fun too. All right. And finally, of course, we've seen the seasons change from summer to fall. And with some possible snowflakes in the forecast for this weekend <laughs> soon, <laughs> uh, it will go from fall to winter. Which season is your favorite and, and what's your favorite thing to do during that season? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm a summer person. Uh, <laughs> I really uh, love- You picked the wrong summers. state to live in. <laughs> 
yeah, um, <laughs> which are beautiful and 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 underappreciated, and I'm and I'm I'm glad for that. Um, in the summer, like I said, I'm an outdoor person. I like to uh, get out and hike, uh, bike. Um, we're we're super happy, lucky to have a a place on Lake Michigan as a family home where we spend a lot of time in the summers, um, enjoying um, the shores of Lake Michigan as well. Outstanding. Well, thanks again, Bikas, for participating in the lightning round and for sharing all of your knowledge about M2C2. Once again, if you want to learn more about the soon-to-debut capacity management hub at Michigan Medicine, go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. And while you're there, check out some of the other featured stories from this past week. There was a kickoff of a new inclusive communication series that will help you better talk and write about disability, and readers learned about how a post-mortality survey is improving safety and care at Michigan Medicine. Find that and more at mmheadlines.org. All right, Deanna. Now, I, I looked this up. I didn't know this off the top of my head, but this week is National Animal Shelter Appreciation Week. So I'm going to know, do you have any pets? And if so, were they any rescues from a shelter? I love that, Dan. I didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have great appreciation for animal rescues. We have two dogs. Uh, we have a 10-year-old and a three-year-old, and both of them are from shelters. In fact, the mother of our older dog was rescued from a shelter in another state and brought to Michigan while she was carrying the litter that our dog wow. was a part of. So um, they're both really sweet, loving dogs. Um, just make our family complete. How about you? Yeah, that's great. So I have a little white ball of fluff, a 12-year-old Bichon named Brady, and he was a rescue um, from a shelter in Illinois back when I lived in Illinois. We've had him probably nine, nine years or so now. And he's, as you said, he makes the family complete. So he just Puts a smile on your face a lot because he's just sort of ridiculous. And if you need to to unwind from the day, you go and look whatever he's doing because it's it's probably um, insane. But but we love the little guy. So um, so yeah. So animal uh, animal rescues are great, and I encourage anyone you know to go find one in your area if if you're looking for an addition to your family. Absolutely. Okay, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. Uh, this week's question is, last week, Headlines readers were told the name of the HRO Tool of the Month. What is that tool? Once again, what is the HRO Tool of the Month for November? Once you know the answer, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for your chance to win a prize. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks, Vikas, for joining us. And thanks, as always, to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.